You are listening to an audio sermon from Fort William Baptist Church. Thanks for joining with us today. We are currently working through a series called Your Kingdom Come, based on the Old Testament books of 1st and 2nd Samuel. This is a book that calls us to action. The text pokes and prods us with the question, Will you submit your life to the Son of God? It's a call to humble ourselves before the King and trust in Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at www.fortwilliambaptistchurch.com. Well, brothers and sisters, would you grab your Bibles this morning? We're in a series on First and Second Samuel, and our sermon text is 1 Samuel chapter 24, chapter 25, and chapter 26. So we have a, a really big text to handle this morning. And so the first thing we need to do is just read through the passage. So if you have a Bible, it will really be helpful. If you don't, there are Bibles in front of you, and I would encourage you to grab one and follow along as I read the text. First Samuel chapter 24, hear the word of God. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here's the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me. 
and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hands. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. And Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David arose and went to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon, whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the, man, now the name of this man was Nabal, and the name of his wife Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a, a Calebite. And David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, so David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you and peace be to your house and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. Now that your shepherds have been with us and we did them no harm and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel, ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. We did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both by day and by night, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. He is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seahs of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys." And she said to her young men, Go on before me, behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missing of all that belonged to him, and he, was returned, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male... Of all who belonged to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard, regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. 
Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be his neighbor. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you, to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be found in the bundle of the living, in the care of the Lord your God. In the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from a hollow of a sling. And when the Lord had done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause." Or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my servant, my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working with my own hands. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, Unless you had hurried and come to meet me truly by morning, there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. And David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Abel's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things. And his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal, and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was of Galim. And the Ziphites came to Saul at Gabeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hekilah, which is on the east of Jeshimon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hekilah, which is, on, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came out after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. And David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Job's brother Abishai, the son of Zeriah, who will go down with me into the camp of Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. And so David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. 
Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. And David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is at his hand and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did he awake, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side and stood far off on top of the hill with a great space between them. And David called to the army and to Abner the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered, Who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the lord lives, you deserve to die, because you have not kept watch over your lord, the lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is in the jar of water that was at his head. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son, David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now therefore let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day, that I should not have a share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go, serve other gods. Now therefore let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then David said, I have, then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness, for the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things, and you will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. Oh, Father, we do ask now that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word. Amen. Well, that was a long read, but we can see from those three chapters that David is still in the wilderness, and if David is still in the wilderness, that means that the Lord yet has something for David in the wilderness, and that thing that the Lord has for David in the wilderness is a test. As we've been working through the life of David so far in the narrative, we have seen that David has already been tested several times. He was first tested on the battlefield. Goliath of Gath came out and David entered into single combat with the giant and he prevailed over the giant. He passed that test with flying colors. David was also tested in the, the court of Saul. David was a musician, but not only a musician, he was an armor bearer of Saul. He was a, a military advisor and military leader. And so David had to navigate the politics of Saul's court, and he did that again with flying colors. He rose and he advanced. David passed all the tests that were thrown at him. 
But as we look at these three chapters, we must see that all of these tests so far for David pale in comparison with the test that waits David in the wilderness. In this wilderness test, David must face himself and wrestle with his own impulses, with his own desires. And at the heart of these three chapters is a very simple moral question. What will David do with his hands? What is David going to do with his hands? The hands of David are referenced again and again and again in these three chapters. When David is in the cave and and Saul is there relieving himself, David's men are surrounding him, encouraging him to use his hands to strike down Saul. When confronted with the greedy Nabal, what is David tempted to do? He is tempted to work salvation by his own hands. And then there is David and Abishai. They're in the camp of Saul. Everyone is sleeping. And Abishai comes to David and he encourages him, blurting these words out. God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Chapter 26, verse 8. And so in each scene, so whether David's in the cave, whether he's at the the sheep shearing festival at Carmel, or whether he is in the sleeping camp of of Saul, the moral question comes into focus. What is David going to do with his hands? Will he grab the sword? Will he take life? Will he stain his hands with blood? Or will he restrain himself? Will he set aside his weapons? And will he wait upon the salvation of the Lord? We have to understand that this question operates with gravity in the text. This question is not just about the personal and private life of David. In 1 and 2 Samuel, we're not following the the story of David's moral self-improvement as a man fights temptations by himself. No, this question bears weight upon the whole nation of Israel. We have to understand that what gives this question its, its force is a solid and unshakable truth. God will not let a king reign or reign very long if his hands are dirty. So we see this in the story. Saul dirtied his hands with sin. And what did the Lord do? The Lord rejected him. And Saul's dirty hands brought trouble and grief and destruction to God's people. And so then, what David does with his hands bears immediate application to Israel. David's hands will either bring blessing or curse to God's people. And so we ask with keen interest, well, what is David going to do with his hands? So we read the passage, it's 92 verses, it's long, it can be broken up into three distinct scenes. We have the cave, we have the sheep shearing festival, and then we have the sleeping camp of Saul. And what I want to do is I want to quickly march through each one of these scenes, paying particular attention to David's hands, looking for an answer to our question, well, what will David do with his hands? So let's start with the first scene, the cave. So the text tells us that Saul is back on the hunt. He's dealt with the Philistine threat. They were raiding the land, so Saul has sufficiently dealt with them, and now he can go back to his his preoccupation, getting rid of David. And so right from the get-go, the the story takes this surprising twist. Saul is the hunter, but the the story twists, and Saul all of a sudden becomes the, the hunted. He becomes the prey. So Saul goes inside to, into the cave, and the text says literally to uncover his feet, but he goes in there to, to go to the bathroom. And without knowing, Saul has put his very life in jeopardy, for in that very cave, David and his men hiding. 
And so the story focuses its attention upon David, and the story slows down. So David's men start to speak to David. We get their words in verse 4. They say to David, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Just think about that for a second. David just doesn't have Saul in front of him. David is literally surrounded by a group of Sauls. What are David's men doing? They're employing Saul's logic that we saw Saul employing last week in chapter 23. They're falling into the sin of presumption. And we can just work through the mental math of David's men here. They're saying something like this to David. Look, David. Saul is your enemy, and inexplicably, we cannot explain it, Saul has entered in this cave to go to the bathroom, and he is now defenseless. Oh, David, raise up your sword and strike this man, for this is the will of God for your life. How can it not be? So here's David, Saul in front of him, and he's surrounded by a group of Sauls encouraging him to presume the will of the Lord. So we ask, well, what is David going to do with his hands? Well, David grabs his sword, and he cuts off the corner of Saul's robe. That sounds a bit random to us. Why would, why would David do that? Why would he cut up a, a garment? But this was a symbolic attack on Saul. The robe was the symbol of Saul's kingly power and authority over Israel. And what David did in that moment is he took his sword, and he began to cut to pieces Saul's authority, and then he grabbed a part of that authority in his own hands. What happens to David? Well, after he does this, his conscience goes into overdrive. Chapter 24, verse 5 puts it like this. David's heart struck him. And the vocabulary is forceful and violent. That's a military term. David's heart struck him. An army goes out and strikes a city. And as an army strikes the city, so did David's heart strike him. David was slain by his very heart in verse 5. So what does David do in the cave? Well, he begins to repent in the cave. He refuses to, as chapter 24, verse 6 puts it, to put out my hand against him. But this is not the end of the scene. David has cut off a piece of Saul's robe, and he puts it to good use. So Saul leaves the cave after doing his business, and once Saul is on his way, David emerges, and he makes a protest to Saul. And we can focus in on verse 11 of chapter 24. David says, see my father, see the corner of your robe and in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hand. So what is David doing? He turns this robe into an apologetic of his own innocence. He's saying, look at my hands. They are clean of your blood. So that's the first scene, the cave. We can move to the second scene now, the sheep shearing festival. So Saul moves away from the story for a bit, but he is replaced by another despicable character. We meet Nabal, and his name means fool. And we quickly realize why Nabal was a fool. This man was in love with his possessions. He loved his possessions more than anything else. So David sends his messengers to Nabal requesting provisions, but Nabal, what? He refuses. Why does he refuse? Because he loves his possessions. Chapter 25, verse 11. Nabal says this, Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've killed from my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? 
So Nabal is a fool. And he's a fool for two reasons. First of all, he's a fool because he refuses to consider the kindness of David. David protected his shepherds out in the field, but, but Nabal doesn't consider that. Second, Nabal is a fool because he refuses to consider the, the power of David. David has 600 trained men for war, a, a, a sizable fighting force, and, and Nabal doesn't consider that as he thinks about his possessions. And so we ask, well, what is David going to do here? Well, David is angry. He's been insulted. He's been disgraced. So he decides to take justice into his own hands, and he leads 400 soldiers to Nabal to strike him and all who belong to him. And here in the story, we're at a crisis point. Certainly, as we reason through this scene, what Nabal did was wrong. Nabal should have provided for the Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed is more important than all of the possessions of Nabal. But even with that, David would clearly be in the wrong to go and, and strike Nabal. And here we, we start to think, who else has killed someone over a matter of provisions, over a matter of bread? Well, Saul did that. He struck down the whole city of Nob through Deog, the, the Edomite, over provisions. And what is David tempted to do here? He is tempted to become exactly like Saul, killing over bread and provisions. But before David could do anything with his hands, he is met by the wife of Nabal, who will become his wife. He is met by Abigail, and she proves her great wisdom. She comes to David, and she begins to apologize profusely. She throws her husband under the bus, saying, this man is a fool. Everyone knows it. I see it. You must see it. And then she begins to provide for David. And then she begins to speak. And when she speaks, her speech is, is very interesting because she talks about the hands of David. Chapter 25, verse 26, she says this. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek you to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. What is Abigail talking about? She is concerned about the moral purity of David. She is concerned about his hands, that they would not work salvation for himself. And, and so Abigail is counseling David. And what does David do? He receives her counsel and he walks away. That's the second scene. We come to the last scene, the sleeping camp of Saul. And this third scene has an eerie echo of the first. Saul goes out to hunt David again. But Saul, the hunter, quickly becomes the hunted, and, and David finds the camp of Saul, and everyone is asleep. And so David and, and Abishai sneak into the camp, and, and there they find Saul completely defenseless, asleep in the middle of all of his men. And here David has prime opportunity to strike down Saul. And Abishai, he urges for action. Chapter 26, verse 8, he is speaking to his, his, his commander. He says, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now, now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. And as we think about this setting, it's only fitting. What did Saul try to do with his spear? Same words. He tried to pin David to the wall. And what does Abishai want to do? He wants to take that very spear and pin Saul to the ground. And we say as readers, that would only be fitting. And so we ask, well, what is David going to do here? Well, David refuses. Chapter 26, verse 9. Listen to David. He says, do not destroy him. Why? 
For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? So what is David doing in the camp of Saul? Well, he didn't come to spill blood. He came to make a point. And so David takes the spear of Saul and a jug of water from Saul. And once David is out of the camp, he makes a stand. He rouses everyone from their sleep. And David begins to to talk about what? He talks about his hands again. Chapter 26, verse 18. David says to Saul, Why does my Lord pursue his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? And just like the corner of Saul's robe, David takes the spear and the jug and he's using it as an apologetic to to display the, the purity of his own hands before Saul. What evil is on my hands? So we're asking the question, what will David do with his hands? And and as we study the the hands of David, we we, we see the answer. David's hands are clean. He refused to, to murder Saul when urged by his men, not once but twice. And he he didn't strike down Nabal and all of Nabal's household because of the wisdom of Abigail. And so we can say that David passed the wilderness test. Look at the hands of David, they are clean hands. So we answered our question, I think. Now what I want to do is is change our question a bit. And when we change the question a bit, this this question makes these three chapters really profitable for us. We ask, what will David do with his hands? And now we can ask, well, how did David keep his hands clean? How did David keep his hands clean? How did he navigate? How did he maneuver all of this temptation? How did he walk through this test? I want to point out three answers to that question. How did David keep his hands clean? Answer number one, David clung to the revealed will of God. So we can go back into the cave, and there is David, and he is being assaulted by Saul-like reasoning. His men are surrounding him, and they're pressing David. They're saying, here is the day which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. David, do what seems good to you. That's what David's men are saying. This is the will of God. And Abishai uses similar language in the sleeping camp of Saul. Just imagine for a moment how tempting these situations were for David. First of all, here is this man who is persecuting and hunting David. Here is Saul. He is defenseless. And surely within the soul of David, there are all these frustrations irritation, anger. Oh, it would have felt good for David to, to lash out, to give vent to his anger and his violence and to strike Saul down. Second, everything, absolutely everything was tilted in David's favor in these stories. Saul is going to the bathroom. There is no armor bearer with Saul when he's going to the bathroom. There is no contingent of soldiers. Saul is there by himself, helpless. Or the other scene, there is Saul sleeping in the midst of all of his soldiers. One quick strike and and Saul is dead. No one will hear a thing. That's tempting when everything is going your way. And third, every single one of David's men is urging David to take action. There isn't anyone in the camp of David throwing up the the yellow caution flag saying, slow down, let's talk about this, let's let's think about this some more. Everyone is urging David saying, this is the will of God for your life, strike this man down. So how does David keep his hands clean? How does he navigate this? 
But what we see is David clings to the revealed will of the Lord. David casts aside the circumstances. He he casts aside the, the counsel of his men. He fights against the very inclinations of his heart and clings to the word of God. And the will of God for David's life is really clear. There's the Ten Commandments. The sixth one, you shall not murder. David cannot strike Saul. The the word of God says he cannot. Even more, when you study the law of God, there is no provision for a man of Israel to go and strike the king of Israel. And so David's path is clear. He must stick to the revealed will of God, and that is what David did. And we learn a lesson here. There is only one way to navigate temptation in this age, and that is the revealed will of God found in the word of God. We learn from David's life. We can't lean on our our own reasoning. For when we do, everything gets murky and cloudy. We can't rely on our own spiritual feelings. I I feel that God is telling me to, to do this. We often just mask our desires with the name of God. Even friends are, are no infallible guide. They can just be off course, just like our, our own hearts. And what must we do? We must turn like David to the revealed will of the Lord. I must not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And when we go to the scriptures, we find light and clarity for every ethical situation we find ourselves in. The will of God is revealed, and our calling as God's people is to, to cling to it. To cling to it. So that's the first answer. There's a second answer. And so we ask, well, how did David keep his hands clean? Well, he had a a lively understanding of God. And so our, our doctrine of God can often be kind of dusty and stale and dry. So we believe all sorts of things about God. God is like this. But that knowledge of God often does not press upon us and change the way we live. But when we look at David, he is in the midst of this test, in the midst of these circumstances, and his knowledge of God is lively and active. His knowledge of God is is pressing upon him and changing the way he he navigates through all of these circumstances. So we ask, well, how did David navigate this temptation? Well, he was going back to the truth about God. So look at chapter 24, verse 12. David is speaking to Saul, and David says this, May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. So David is saying, I'm not going to murder you. And he asks, why is David not going to kill Saul? Well, David is saying, I know something about the Lord. He is going to avenge me, and he is going to avenge this whole situation. Again, in chapter 26, verse 11, David is speaking with Abishai, and Abishai wants David to to kill Saul and give him permission to take the spear and strike down Saul. And what does David say? He says this, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. And these were not just words on a page for David. This was real. David witnessed the righteous judgments of the Lord. We see it in our text. David turned away from Nabal. And what happened to Nabal? Well, the Lord proved that he was a righteous judge. Nabal sinned against David by not providing for him. And what does the Lord do? The Lord avenges David. Chapter 25, verses 37 and 38. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him. And he became as a stone, and about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal 
and he dies. And so we watch David in the midst of his temptations, and he's resisting temptation by pressing into knowing the Lord. And surely in the midst of these circumstances, in the cave or in Saul's camp, David was preaching something like this to himself. Self, God will come and take care of all of this. Self, realize and know this. God is a righteous judge and he will not leave this sin of Saul go unpunished. So put away your anger, put away your bitterness, set down your sword and just trust in the Lord that he will come and intervene in all of this sin and wickedness. David was preaching to himself, I'm sure, in the midst of all of this. And the interesting thing is that this, this truth of God's justice applies not just to, to Saul. The Lord is going to judge Saul, but it also applies to David. And, and we find David applying the same truth to his own heart. So in chapter 26, verse 23, David is speaking with Saul, and David says this, The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. I think we're getting some insight into the heart and mind of David. I think throughout all of these temptations, David was preaching something like this to himself. Self, if you sin against the Lord by spilling blood, surely, surely the Lord will come and judge you. The Lord is a righteous judge and he will not let your sin just go unpunished. Self-believe this and know this. The Lord is a righteous judge. So stretch out not your hand against the Lord's anointed. I think David is is charting a safe course for us. We fight temptation by by pressing into knowing the Lord for who he truly is. And so if we want to be safe from our temptations, we need to press into knowing God. Just think about it. What happens to temptation when you, when you press into knowing God? You're being tempted and then you, you press into the truth that, that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He fills all of created reality. What would we begin to say to ourselves when we really press into that truth in the midst of temptation? We say, oh, the Lord is here with me. How can I sin against him? Where temptation is, is pressing in again, it's, it's urging you, it, it's drawing upon your desires, upon your lusts. Well, what happens when you begin to consider the glory of God? The brightness, the, the splendor, the wonder of God. You set your heart to work upon the glory of God. What begins to happen to that temptation? Well, it loses its appeal. Your heart starts to yearn for something else, something better, for the glory of God itself. Think about temptation. It often comes with glitter and glamour. Otherwise, it wouldn't work if there was no glitter or glamour with temptation. But what happens when you expose it to the the holiness of God? Well, the holiness of God is much brighter than the, the, the glitter and the glamour of temptation, and the light exposes it for what it truly is. And so how do we keep ourselves from temptation? Well, we see in David's life, we, we press into knowing the Lord, and there are a multitude of ways to do that. Now we need to look at a third answer. How did David keep his hands clean? Well, the keeping power of God. And this last answer really has nothing to do with David. God kept David from falling into sin. So we can recall the scene. Nabal has insulted David. And and so David is angry and he shouts to his men, grab your sword, strap up for battle. David has his sword in his hand and he's leading 400 men to the camp of Nabal. And he's going to strike everyone dead. What happens? 
here comes Abigail on a donkey with gifts in front of her, and she speaks wisdom to David and changes David's heart. We need to focus in on David's words after this experience. He says this in chapter 25, verses 32 and 33. David says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. David is speaking to Abigail, and what does he think about all of this? He sees the hand of the Lord in this. The Lord sent Abigail to David to restrain him from spilling blood. So just think about it. What kept David from sin? It wasn't his wisdom. It wasn't his strong willpower. It wasn't his great strategies or godly intentions. It wasn't all the carefully built fences that he erected around himself. No, at the end of the day, it was the Lord who kept David from falling into sin. The Lord kept him. And here's the truth. We see it revealed in the story. Christian, you are not wise enough. You are not strong enough to keep yourself from sin. We depend upon the keeping power of God. We hope in the God who sent Abigail to restrain David. And the story begins to humble us, doesn't it? Sometimes we have this tendency to think highly of ourselves in the midst of temptation. But as we look at this story, it doesn't allow us to think highly of ourselves. It starts to humble us. Think about it like this. There's a logic at work. David was a great man of God. Big stature. What kept him from gross sin? What kept him from forfeiting the throne? What kept him from committing this this terrible deed? Well, it was the sheer grace of God. And we are of lesser stature than David. And the truth should hit us like a ton of bricks. If David depended upon the keeping power of God, how much more do we need to depend upon the keeping power of God? We rest upon his keeping power. So how do we live as if that is true? That we need the keeping power of God. Well, Jesus teaches us how to live like that. Jesus taught us how to pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Jesus gives, this, uh, gives us this petition. He teaches us to pray every day. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. And if you are serious about fighting sin, you are going to be a man, you're going to be a woman who takes that petition that Jesus has given us and offer it up to the Father every day. Lead me not into temptation. And when we pray that prayer, what are we saying to the Father? We're saying, I'm not wise enough, I'm not strong enough to resist all of these temptations. Oh, lead me not into temptation. I trust in your keeping power, oh God. So how did David keep his hands clean? Well, the keeping power of God kept them clean. So by way of review, we can ask, well, what did David do with his hands? Well, we read through the text. We looked at the three scenes. David kept his hands clean. And we asked, well, how did David keep his hands clean? Well, we we, we see it in the text. He, He clung to the will of God. He he fought temptation with, with knowing God. And ultimately, he was kept by the power of God. I want to bring this home to us now. And when we meditate on all of these three chapters and all the truth in them, I think there ought to be a stab of conviction in our souls. Because the truth that should stare at us in the face is this. We haven't kept our hands clean. You might have resisted temptation 90, you might have resisted 90 temptations this last week. They're coming at you fast and furious, but you were denying them, pushing them off, fleeing from them. 
But then there was that one temptation, the 91st temptation that met you this last week. And what did you do? You gave into it. You believed the lie. You took hold of it. And you committed that sin. Perhaps that very thing happened to you this morning. There was the 90 temptations you resisted, and then the 91st came this morning, and you went after it. And here's the question. Is there any hope for you? You have dirty hands. Or maybe your story is completely different. Perhaps you faced 90 temptations this last week, but you're not like the first person who resisted the 90 and then fell for the 91st. No, the 90 temptations came your way and you gave in to 45 of them. They just coming at you and you just kept believing them and you kept going after them. You were overcome by them. And here's the question for you. Is there any hope for you in the midst of all of this? Your hands are dirty and your conscience testifies of it. I have dirty hands. How do we answer that? Well, I think this is a question that the book of First and Second Samuel is wanting us to ask. Because as we study these chapters, we see that, yes, David did avoid sin in these three chapters. He did have clean hands. But as you study the life of David, and as we will continue in 2 Samuel, we will see that David will not always have clean hands. In fact, he's going to commit gross sin, sin that's going to shake the kingdom to its very foundations, sin that's going to defile him. And what the book of 1 and 2 Samuel does is it's crying out for a king that has clean hands hands that will bring blessings to God's people. So what's the hope? Well, the gospel hope is this. A greater David has come, and his name is Jesus Christ. And I want you to direct your gaze this morning at the hands of Jesus. Look at his hands and examine the hands of Jesus. And when you examine the hands of Jesus, when you're looking closely at them, what do you find? We find that they're clean. Jesus has perfectly clean hands. Jesus faced every temptation known to man. He was presented with every allurement that this world has to offer. He faced the great tempter himself in the wilderness when he was weak and hungry. Yet through it all, Jesus kept his hands perfectly clean. Not one sin ever. So hear the good news, Christian. Believe this and know this. You have a righteous king, a king who has never done wrong and a king who will never do wrong. And he reigns over you today, a king with clean hands. But that's not all that we see. We need to keep looking at the hands of Jesus because there's more to look There's more to see. Examine the hands of Jesus. They are clean, but they're not only clean. As we look at the hands of Jesus, there are scars in the hands of Jesus. He was crucified. There are holes there, and those scars remain to this very day. What is the gospel shouting? It is shouting the best news ever. Jesus, the righteous, died for the ungodly. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so is there hope for you today if you have defiled and unclean hands? There is hope. And so hear the imperative of the gospel. Take your dirty hands to Jesus and he will cleanse them. You have to understand that there is only one way to get clean hands in this life and that is to go to the one who has the crucified hands. You need to know this and believe this. There is a king who cleanses hands. There's a king who forgives sins and makes sinners clean. And anyone who goes to this king will be forgiven and cleansed. 
That is the promise of the gospel. If you go to Jesus Christ this morning, you will be cleansed. He accepts all. So let's pray. Father, you have opened up your word to us, and we are so thankful that you've given us these three chapters. We're so thankful that you have given us a king who has passed through every temptation and that he now reigns over us. Even more, we rejoice that he reigns over us and for us, that he accepts us and cleanses us and cleans us. And so, Father, this morning we make our way to Jesus Christ and we pray, cleanse us from all of our sin. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.